Hello Celtics fans, welcome back to the newly named, we finally came up with a name for this darn thing, the Banner 18 Podcast. Yeah. I'm Standard Time Celtics writer Brennan Curie and joined once again by Sam Schilling and Mike Lawrence, who you probably know by now, longtime Celtics fans each. So we're a couple days after the draft, we've had a little time to digest how things went. Uh, Celtics obviously started off with the number one pick, ended up trading that uh, down to the number three pick and taking Jason Tatum a combo forward out of Duke, and they also picked up a first-rounder that'll come in uh, either 2018 or 2019, depending on some protections. So uh, we'll, we'll just start off with some, some quick-hit draft reaction here. Uh, how would, did the Celtics do on draft night? We'll start with you, Sam. Yeah, again, at this point in time, um, you can tell that the front office is really excited with uh, Tatum's skill set. And the more that I watched him, I think that he will give them kind of like an isolation scoring option with the second group. Um, he's a, a guy that's a little different than some of the profiles on the Celtics in that his offensive game is much more advanced than his uh, defensive game right now. He showed, you know, he's kind of long and lean and he could could capably defend, but just like a lot of star players coming up, you know, most of their attention was devoted on the offensive side. Um, I think that's what they, they did really struggle, and it showed up in Marcus Smart taking a lot of bad shots, um, like late in shot clocks and stuff like that, um, where you see... Um, playing with that second group this year was like guy like Jonas Drebko and uh, Kelly Olynyk, who both stretched the floor, um, but didn't really have much going to the basket and really struggled just isolating. You know, Kelly Olynyk showed flashes, um, but to have a guy that can do that kind of consistently in, I think, you know, more of like Jonas Drebko's spot, have somebody that can initiate it could be really helpful. So um, that, and then I'll save my reaction for their second pick, which. <laughs> was uh, really strong. What would you give the Tatum pick if you gave it a grade? Uh, I, I mean, I always I think grading him right now is kind of funny. I'd feel comfortable giving kind of my initial grade after I see him in um, Summer League. Um, but right now, I mean, he was the Gatorade Player of the Year coming out of high school. He's shown a really clever offensive game with great footworks and jab steps to get himself open. And he's got a really smooth shot. Again, he hasn't really moved out. Of, and, and again, people were criticizing his three-point shooting in a, the college uh, three-pointers a little closer but he shot uh, 34.7 percent almost 35 percent so he, he has a nice stroke and a lot of the word is sure. that uh, when he was going around working out for some teams his stroke was already looking better yeah and it wasn't that uh, first year at duke and smooth. the last three guys who win uh, national high school player of the year before him were names you might remember ben simmons carl anthony towns and andrew wiggins so all number one picks mm-hmm. mike what, did you, what were your thoughts coming well, out thursday it's so does he move ahead of uh Jaylen brown uh last year's Take on the depth chart. Uh, is Tatum in that second unit ahead of Brown, you think? Or I, I bet you they play them both side by side. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if uh, Brown gets kind of a little more of the three minutes and Tatum's a little more of a stretchy four type. Yeah, and, guy. And, and he's 6'8". He's maybe a little bit short for that, but not, not too undersized. Yeah, and we've talked about, um, Brennan, you had a good observation of just like what the league is now becoming in terms of, you know, it used to be one through five uh, point point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. And now it's almost the the shooting forward position or the small forward position. It's funny that I kind of combine those two. But it's that's really what it's becoming, guys that can spread the floor but guard a whole bunch of positions and switch things um, who are in that 6 foot 6 to 6 foot 9 range and like, you know, good athletes. We're kind of seeing, you know, versatility is now the 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 biggest buzzword, so and one thing which I didn't realize with Tatum ahead of Thursday night 
was his uh, personal side, and that was impressive. I thought like he talked right away about his about single mother, and she was there with him, and he wants to start uh, uh, some charity work for single moms, and just seemed like a really uh, solid teammate, mature individual, which matters in, in the locker room and in our chemistry and all that. Mike Krzyzewski's had nothing but good words to say about him, a lot of stories about how he'd really been plugging him to Duke, and then vice versa, he'd been uh, pitching the Celtics to Jason Tatum. Uh-huh. We all know uh, Josh Jackson uh, did not want to go to the Celtics, that story right. came out after the draft, that uh, the uh, Celtics brass Danny Ball. Ainge and... And Brad Stevens had flown all the way out to Sacramento yeah. only to be uh, turned away by, yeah. by Josh Jackson. Yeah, They'd yeah. also been stood up by, well, not stood up exactly by Lonzo Ball, who refused to work out for him. So uh, it probably also matters a little bit to have a guy who seems like he wants to come into town when, for some reason, it's kind of inexplicable to me. All these guys don't want to come to Boston, but there's not too many situations you come into that are better in the league. I mean, yeah, in terms of fans. Uh, excitement and interest. I mean, it is a northern city. A lot of these guys, uh, you know, grew up in kind of the southern. Uh, southern parts of the United States, or yeah. like the Tatum's warm weather. From Missouri, by the way. You know, so um, I, I don't know what it is. You know, there always is kind of not to get into it here, but some of the you know the racial history in Boston it has been pegged, and I think justifiably so in a lot of ways. But um, I I think it's a pretty because the lion's share of your time is spent you know in the facilities and with this group, and it seems like a really well functioning group right now. You know, so if people choose to look through it through a historical. Um, lens and I can see some of that but right now it's just a really good group followed by you know and I think our leadership is really respectful on point um, in the coaches room and on the floor like we've we've got some guys that I think people are really excited to play with led by Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford so and that probably is actually could hurt them somewhat in this process so early on when the players are dealing so much with their agents Mm. and their agents have all these ulterior motives which often include being a big marketable guy right from the beginning Get concessions from the team, get your way, you know, the suites on the road and the right spot yeah. on the bus and all these things that when you're coming into the Celtics, you're probably not going to get. You're going to be the ninth guy on the totem pole. Right. Whereas if you're going into a franchise like the Kings, you could probably assert yourself pretty quickly as an alpha. Yeah, for sure. The established culture in Boston, I could see for, I think, what I'd consider the wrong reasons. But yeah, if you want clout and you want to be uh, assert yourself, you're going to have to really earn it in, this, in the Celtics locker room. Yeah, whereas I Steven think Josh Jackson is the kind of coach who's gonna hand you anything, and, and he's almost now the second fiddle to Devin Booker. It feels mm-hmm. like in a lot of ways they they drafted those two bigs, but they really haven't quite. And it's um, still probably Eric Bledsoe's team until he's traded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So looking across the rest of the league, uh, were there any teams picks? Anything that really stood out for you, Mike? Well, uh, one guy who this is because I used to live in Colorado, and for some reason had a lot of friends out there from uh, Kansas. I've been hearing from. A lot of uh, Kansas fans about uh, Frank Mason went out to the Kings. Um, he's my pick is the person who might uh, come out of this as uh, some of the teams wish they had uh, taken earlier. That's it all the way to the second round? Yeah. 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 And he's a guy who's, yeah, smaller framed. Um, I don't think he has the really, you know, crazy long arms or anything, but he was a super productive college player. He's a you know, five foot eleven point guard uh, who I think won the Naismith Player of the Year. He was, yep. Um, and so yeah, you just see like I wouldn't count a guy like that out. And if they can surround him with some shooting, like we've seen with Isaiah Thomas, um, I think smaller guys can have success now that the the floor is spread if they show some, the intensity on the defensive side. 
So and we just saw a four-year guy who went later in the draft win rookie of the year uh, tonight in Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. So you know maybe that uh, you know points to a little bit of the, yeah. the benefits of taking a you know a seasoned four-year guy who's kind of seen it all in college and mm-hmm. played at a major program. Um, actually, I thought overall the Kings draft was what surprised me the most was because it was such a, a competent draft yeah. though. Yeah. Like, you know, the Kings seem to have been the worst run franchise in the league for at least five or even more than that, probably five years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was all kinds of talks of some team was going to fleece him to move up to the three, you know, with the five and the ten. And uh, so they had the five pick, and then they ended up trading down from the ten pick to the 15, I believe it was 15 and the 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but they yep. ended up being able to pick up uh, kind of a quartet of players yeah. that include uh, Frank Mason. They got De'Aaron Fox. They got Justin Jackson. And then um, Harry Giles, and then Harry Giles yeah. out of Duke, who was uh, you know considered one of the best players in this entire class before he injured both his knees. And an uh, interesting uh, story I'd read with uh, Ed Cooley, who had coached a bunch of these players on the U nineteen national team a couple mm-hmm. of years Ed ago. Ed Cooley, the head uh, coach of Providence, Providence. College, um, and uh, he had said that at that time Harry Giles was the best. I mean, Jason Tatum was on that team. Mm-hmm. I think Darren Fox was on that team. Wow. So several of these guys who went. High in this draft, uh, were on that team, and at that point, he said Harry Giles was the, he would have been the number one pick easily then. Wow! So uh, interesting to see uh, the Kings all of a sudden seem to smarten up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was a nice combination. You know, relevance. getting two guards. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is you know phenomenally fast, like kind of in that John Wall, yeah. uh, little thinner frame, but really can move. And then Justin Jackson, a four-year player out of uh, North Carolina, who won the ended up winning the national championship. You know, and he's a uh, I don't think he'll ever really be a star, but I think he comes in really quick and understands the game and is long and lean. And it's actually fun. He wore 44 in college because uh, of uh, George Gervin. Oh, I did. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so he's like got, kind of got that old like another four-year guy, ACC wing. Player of the Year. Yep. Yeah, so that was a great pick. And then Mason, it, at least as a guy to compete with De'Aaron Fox, yeah. uh, I think that could be a really cool. Um, you know, grow together. They talk about that oftentimes, like in football, about the quarterback room or something like that. But yeah. if you have two point guards that are kind of starting at the same time and you know from very different backstories and with very different skill sets, I think that would they can only uh, a couple help change each other of pace grow. guys. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Speaking of the second round, there uh, Celtics made uh, and a pick that I know made Sam quite happy in the second round. So uh, we'll let you uh, yeah, talk this, a little bit about uh, what a, you think may be the pick of the draft. Yeah, this was a kid that caught my eye pretty early. He's uh, semi Ojale. So he's a power forward, small forward, uh, six foot six, two forty five, built like looks like a defensive end, kind of in that Jay Crowder mold. Um, who was a really nice spot up shooter. Doesn't do too much off the dribble, but is a really explosive athlete. He, I think, he had the best at the NBA Combine of the two footed jump. He, he, had, his uh, vertical was like forty and a half inches. Really gets up, really you know, kind of a, a violent, explosive athlete, and. That, that has kind of a more refined shooting stroke that a guy like Jay Crowder did coming out of uh, college. And I think he's he's in that funny spot where, again, being six foot six, you think, okay, that's a small forward position. But with the, the direction of the league, um, how everything's spread out and how tough and physical and strong of a base he has, I could see him playing a lot of power forward for this group. And um, he was a guy that a lot of folks had in the, in the 20s um, as a draft possibility all the way to 37 yeah and you wonder uh, and then his backstory even further is uh, he had started at Duke played two years there couldn't make it onto their roster because this is in the midst of uh, you know all the one and dones like or he was on the roster but he couldn't get, couldn't get couldn't the couldn't carve out a role so he, he asked coach K uh, for his release and he ended up at 
Southern Methodist University, which was when he got recruited there, was led by Larry Brown, um, who then left and installed a very like up tempo. They only played like six guys, which was very you know very short rotation. He played a, a lot. They did a, a lot of switching, but it was Division One, but they're Conference USA, so they didn't get quite as much um, attention or American Athletic Conference, I think it's called now. Um, so now do you think this pick immediately makes Jay Crowder tradable or do you think you got to wait a year or two of development? Uh, I'd like to see them work together um, and have a chance to learn under Jay Crowder. So I wouldn't say right away, but I think it could be, uh, you know, a cheaper replacement as Jay Crowder is like two years away from his uh, contract coming up. The other piece though about and toughness. And seems to be asked for in a lot of trades. A lot of times when you're yeah. seeing a trade and there's a guy the Celtics don't want to give yeah, up. Yeah, which is, which is so often funny. Jay which is so funny that his value is so high in these trade rumors and then every team in the NBA passed on a guy like Semi Ojale with a very similar skill set in my mind. So again, they're seeing these guys up close. But to me, that's funny and that's um, in, in, Crowder was in, picked in, around the same point, I think yeah. 32nd but or it's an incongru- pick too. Congru- um, you know, it's incongruous that that they're so excited about Jay Crowder, and yet everybody towards the second half of that first round and early second, like, pass on this guy, who I think is going to be a really, um, really solid fit. And, and Just to uh, let folks know, um, on draft night, uh, Sam was uh, calling out um, Ojale's name probably at least uh, four to five uh, picks ahead of the Celtics. Was amazed he was still on the board. When he was on the board, I mean, you did uh, call that pick very... Yeah, no, I was, I was really excited. Yeah. It's fun to see it, how, how much, um, you know, what the Celtics are looking for in these dogged defenders. I think the other thing that's really going to help is, so he's coming in to play kind of that small forward, powered forward position, and Jason Tatum's coming in from Duke, the place that Semi Ojale had to move on from because he yeah. couldn't get playing time. And I can't wait to see, those, you know, or imagine how helpful those battles are going to be where Semi Ojale is more of a defensive-oriented guy, Jason Tatum's more of a silky smooth offensive guy, and to see, and then Semi might have, a, or uh, Shemi might have a little, um, you know, extra something for him, knowing with his background with Duke, you know. So uh, I think that that's a cool little story to watch play out. You ready for the first uh, practice uh, fisticuffs there? Uh, I don't think either of them, because they're both seem like really really nice guys. I don't think there's going to be none of them have like the edge that Marcus Smart or Jay Crowder seems to have. So I don't think it'll be tough, but I think. If you had to move on from a program because of all these kind of one and dones and, and this kid's is kind of the golden boy and you had to, you know, fight four years to find your space, I just, uh, I think that'll, that'll be a fun matchup to watch. does seem like adding all these wings does make Jay Crowder the guy who becomes more and more expendable every moment. So, speaking of yeah. which, uh, we'll look ahead a little bit. Next step, uh, Celtics added their draft picks. Uh, next step is free agency. They have the money to get a max guy. They could... Obviously, go and get a couple of non-max guys instead. But uh, we'll start off. Who would be at the top of your wish list? Not necessarily who you think they're going for, but if you had your pick, if you were Danny Ainge, who's the guy you would target? We'll go with Mike first. I mean, as we said last week, uh, Porzingis. If he is available at all, if uh, Phil Jackson is messing that up and um, wants to uh, trade the unicorn away, by all means. I want to see a big man. I mean, yeah. So in free agency, is there anyone yeah. in particular that you? Um, help me out. I mean, like, who? Um, so Blake Griffin's probably the top yeah. big man available. Serge Ibaka is available. Uh, Nerlens Noel's restricted. Uh, Alex Len is available out of Phoenix. Uh, it gets pretty thin, pretty quick at the big Very man. Thin. You get into the JaVale McGee's then, yeah. and the um, 
Oh, the other Golden State uh, uh, center, Zaza Pachulia. Um, it gets pretty thin. I mean, really, the the two big men. I mean, there's also like Paul Millsap is out there, but I don't see the Celtics recreating the Hawks backcourt. I mean, right. frontcourt of five years ago, right. yeah. which I think proved you know to be good but not great. Is Blake over his injuries? Is it, is he healthy? And he got hurt in the playoffs this last uh, year. Um, you know, he, a lot of his injuries have been kind of of the freak nature. It's yeah. not like he keeps having knee injuries, which are usually what you really yeah. worry about. You know, broken hand. Um, I think this last one was uh, was a toe injury. I think it was the last one. Um, I do. I knew I read a stat at one point that since he came into the league, he has played in more than seventy five percent of all available games. Nice. Now that's not including missing his entire first season. Right. Yeah. Um, well, his game has changed pretty significantly since he came in as the uh, rookie of the year after he's you know sat out that first season and. Um, he was, you know, a really explosive athlete and, you know, did kind of everything. And his game's kind of moved out to being more of a, you know, set shooter from 15 to 18. It would be interesting to see him decoupled from DeAndre Jordan where he had to take more of a, you know, rim protection um, role of, of that nature. I wouldn't mind seeing Blake Griffin, but I'm really excited about the Celtics getting ahead of the curve on this kind of all what we would previously consider all small forward lineup. And I think that you could even get a guy like Gordon Hayward and that wouldn't necessarily mean that you're getting rid of Jay Crowder either, because I think that those guys can play uh, with one another. I you think you, you kind of have your, you know, your guys that can play a little bit of four. If Al Horford wants to play, it can play the five and then you'll have a big that much like Amir Johnson would start games, but only really play 16 to 20 minutes. And whether that's Ante Zizic or a guy in free agency that they get, I think that that role can be d- diminished. Um, where you have a whole bunch of guys that play four, when Al Horford bumps up to the five, one guy that plays like a half of a shift, that 16 to 18 minute range, um, playing your five, and not spend the farm on him and then get those much more versatile guys. So you just have a stable of, led by Gordon Hayward in my perfect universe, Jay Crowder. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Shemi Ojale, Avery Semi Bradley, Ojale. and Marcus Smart. You're not getting minutes for all those guys, though. How do you find the so who's yeah. who, so who's gone off that list? If you sign Hayward, who are you well, getting rid Semi of? Well, Semi Ojale isn't guaranteed any minutes. So you have Jay Crowder. But I mean, looking at the Jaylen team going Brown. forward, it seemed like you thought he would be a vital piece of this team in two or three seasons. Right, but he's the understudy when we uh, get you know move on from Jay Crowder or something like that. So I'm looking at the only four that are really getting minutes would be Gordon Hayward, Jay Crowder. I think you could even start those guys next to one another if you're playing the right teams and play Al Horford at the five. Or if, you know, Avery Bradley's missed a bunch of time, Isaiah Thomas missed a bunch of time, I think you so could So you, you have, didn't think that these uh, playoffs this past season kind of proved you can't play Al Horford at the five? Uh, In an important playoff on, situation. You know, you can get by with him during the regular season. No, I think we need to improve that center position where – we have other people that can come in and take the pressure off when we go against guys like Marcin Gortat and things um, and players like that. But I think that you can also, with a lot more skill, continue to spread and then put the other team in a tough spot where they have a five that can't really guard anybody out on that perimeter. Um, so that's that's the way I think the league's going. I mean, when you saw the Warriors win the championship, it was largely with you know Durant, Iguodala, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and you know Steph Curry. And then even you move Sean Livingston into that, you know, talking about that group. But keep in mind, Kevin Durant's a seven-footer. 
and Draymond Green is a power forward with at least the rebounding skills, if not better than Al Horford. So you already got two guys already who are better rebounders than your best rebounder on the court. Yeah, no, they're gonna they're gonna have to play some bigger people, and whether that's picking up a free agent off that list you said, but maxing using your max contract not on an aging Blake Griffin, who we've never seen be a primary rim protector, but spending that on Gordon Hayward, who's shown to be a very versatile guards two through four, could play kind of two through four is a point forward who initiates much of his pick-and-roll offense with Utah from him. So I'm excited about that. They'd have to piece it together. Um, but I think that's the way the league's going. You can just outrun teams who... I think Crowder is uh, gone this summer. Um, yeah, and so I, I think somebody's got to be gone. At this point, it's a roster overload. This is what's interesting to me, though, is that they could have had Markel Fultz, and they decided specifically we do not. We would rather have another combination of guys than having Markel Fultz, which to me means that they're re-signing Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. And if they're re-signing Isaiah Thomas, they're not re-signing Avery Bradley. So I wouldn't be surprised if Avery Bradley's the next guy gone, but Jay Crowder might be the next guy gone as well. It just doesn't seem like they can even go into the season if they sign a Gordon Hayward, which actually then leads me to why, that but point. Why? Explain that. Because there's just too many guys. Well, You, like gotta, you need Tatum they, and you need Brown to be getting 20 minutes a game. You need Crowder and Hayward to be getting... Brown didn't get 20 minutes a game last year. Well, and then that, that's why he was unplayable in the playoffs. He didn't have enough minutes in unplayable. the NBA. Unplayable. He was one of the bright spots in the Cleveland series. I would, I would reject that. I would say I, I thought Jalen Brown at times was so lost in the defensive end that he was unplayable on the court. He was missing assignments. He wasn't rotating properly. He had a, he had a nice three. He had a nice transition dunk. But I mean, I think there's a reason that the, he went games with DNP coaches' decision during the playoffs because. Uh, you know, I mean, but so you, I mean, and he was already playing probably 15 minutes a game last season, at least he averaged. So he's not that far off from 20, and yeah, he's going to get increased a, minutes this year. So you, you got to get Hayward 36 you minutes, you got to get Crowder 32 and, minutes. And any given night, you play nine of those guys. But you, so you already have one, two, three, four, five, six guys between the two and the three who need minutes. Well, but again, I've mentioned a number of those guys that can then play the four because, again, we're moving to this kind of positionless. So you're treating it as. We have six guys for three, two spots, but I'm saying you can play almost well over 50% of the game with six guys for three spots. I say, I guess I'm thinking Al Horford always needs a bigger player next to him on the court. Yeah, and at I all times. Do not think. I mean, that's in the, the reg again, again, this is a little bit different. In the regular season, you can get away with all this stuff, but all we're really talking about is what are you going to be doing in playoff series against the Wizards and the Bucks and the Cavs and the Warriors in the next couple seasons. Like, that's what's really when the money comes down to it is going to be, can you beat these teams in a playoff series? And, who's, and I think in a playoff who's series... Who's the dominant big in those, of those teams that you... I think like. we couldn't even handle Tristan Thompson. I think the Celtics struggled to handle Tristan Thompson without Horford as the primary big man. Uh-huh. Well, so, then you're getting into guys like Gershon Yebisele and Ante Zizic who could, you know, young athletic bigs who could then... And they could, absolutely. Yeah, you know, so they, it's, it's going to be... It could be internal, but I just look at you already got two good starters in Crowder and Bradley. You got Tatum and Brown who you've taken with the three picks. That's four guys of the two and the three but, who are supposed to be a big part of your team. But Jaylen that's Brown not even including Marcus But again, Smart. You, keep, you keep going back to the they're playing the two or the three where it's like the game of basketball is evolving. And Tatum could probably play the four. Where, but they tried Jalen Brown at the three a little bit, and that yeah. wasn't effective either. He gets pushed around. Jalen Brown at the three? At the four, sorry. Yes, I'm at the four. Yeah, well, I mean, he's gonna, you know, he's a 19 year old kid. He's got another year of, of weight room stuff, and I just think that you can also 
if you get a team that wants to play post-basketball, you can just turn up and run on them. And I wouldn't suggest the Celtics play post-basketball at all. That's why Blake Griffin actually would excite me a lot. I mean, just think of him and Al Horford being your two bigs. They can run the floor. They can hit 15 to 18-footers. Griffin actually expanded out to the three a little bit. Griffin's a great post-passer. And when he came in the league, he was averaging 12 rebounds a game when he wasn't playing with an established DeAndre Jordan who has to play in the paint and can't really move more than – he's not affected more than about 10 feet from the hoop. So that forced the Clippers to have to spread the floor a little bit more. And so Blake Griffin had to play a little bit further away, which improved his game to some extent because he added a mid-range jumper. Of course, the big drawback on Blake Griffin, as Mike started this whole thing off with, is his injury history. That's If it wasn't for Blake Griffin's injury history, we'd be talking well, about him as one of the f- 10 best players in the league, guy, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. He's a four-time All-NBA player. I mean, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with the Clippers in general, because if the Clippers end up getting blown up, uh, Blake yeah. Griffin. And then even Serge Ibaka, I think at this point, would be a better fit than Gordon Hayward. Uh, just because fe- they went into the offseason needing a wing scorer and a big man. And they drafted a wing scorer. So I just don't know if they then need to go and add a wing scorer in free agency. But all this said, yeah. I also would be, wouldn't be surprised if Danny Ainge doesn't go for the Mavs guy and signs a couple, makes a couple of smaller moves at Danilo Gallinari or some guy who might not command a max. Yeah, I think it, it's going to be hard to kind of pry Gordon Hayward out of the situation in Utah because I think they've got a young nucleus. they got a really good coach in Quinn Snyder. His game continues to develop under that. I thought they drafted really well. They got a guy, Donovan Mitchell, out of Louisville, who I thought was a real steal. They got him at the 13 spot. You know, pretty impressive athlete. Kind of reminded me of uh, some of the Celtics that they drafted. You know, he's come from the same school as Terry Rozier, that long arm build, and also really sturdy, kind of like a hybrid Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart. So I think Gordon might be excited to play with him. Um, so he, he very well might be hard to pry loose. And, yeah, based on some of the, the draft history, but I still think that that'd be a piece that I'd like to see him at least attempt. And, you know, I guess how small can you play is, is a real question. That is, but, that is an um, interesting question. Well, and in terms of where the uh, league is going, who was the uh, first uh, center in this draft taken? What's your guess? Laurie Markinen at seven. Um, or they call yeah, him they're probably calling him a stretch four, probably. Four. Be Justin Patton at 16. Yep, yeah. 16. Yeah, and that was the pick. But even Zach flipped, Collins, so. isn't Zach Collins kind of a center, too? Uh, right. Yeah, they were putting him as a power forward, you know, but he yeah. defend five, you know. Um, bless you. Thanks, Steven. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, the game is really changing, but I, I mean, uh, I guess before Jason Tatum, uh, Gordon Hayward, you know, that, that wing scoring position uh, was a little more wide open for him. So, yeah, but I do think that they're positioned that they kind of have to make a splash now in free agency. So, July 1st to the... It'll be interesting. Let's, uh, let's, let's look at the next question. Uh, we'll pose it around this. So, in 2018, a year from right now, LeBron James could be a free agent. Lots of rumors already that he could be headed to L.A., that would open up the East. At that point, I mean, the Wizards will certainly still be good. The Bucks are an ascendant team. 76ers might be good by then. No reason Toronto's going away. Mm-hmm. Depends what they – they have a couple big free agents and Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka this offseason that could really yeah. change that franchise. But there'll still be teams that this year and the last two years were right on the Celtics level or the 76ers who are up and coming. Where do you see the Celtics' long-term plan over the next 
three years, and how do you think LeBron possibly leaving for LA factors into that? This is a little bit of a uh, sidetrack. Uh, and this goes back to a thought I've had for a long time. I've always wanted to see LeBron on the Knicks. And, and there was talk, like... There was one of the teams when he yeah. went to the Heat that he took a yeah. meeting with. I would just love to see him in New York. Um, although it's neither here nor there. L.A., I mean, I can see the attraction. I hope he stays in uh, Cleveland. You know, I mean, um, he's only brought them one uh, title. And I don't know if that's enough for, for what he wants to do in that city. He's yeah, got to be thinking I, I legacy think, at this point. Like, but that's I, I think they've run to the end of I can just assemble guys and we can run the championship the way the Warriors are playing with basically four stars who play a team brand of basketball. I just think those days of grouping guys together has kind of passed, like guys that are on their second contract. I also think Cleveland's kind of a mess. I think they have uh, one more chance to take um, a swing for a a hyper-competitive team that could then make the finals. And again, I don't even know if this team can then beat the Warriors the way the Warriors are playing, barring some injury. but where they would add like a Carmelo Anthony or a Paul George for a year. But I think we're a year away from it being blown up and LeBron kind of justifiably so because of what's going on in the front office there. They didn't retain their GM. They were with, they were without a GM during the draft, which is just (laughs) bizarre. Um, Their coach won't pay him and then offered Chauncey Billups more money than he would have offered an established GM to come take over the program. And again, Johnson got a lot of way to try and hire a GM on draft day. Yeah. So I just think that it's so dysfunctional there. Uh, the Dan Gilbert, the owner is a real blowhard. And so I, I really just think that they're, they're going to pay, they're going to go crazy into the luxury tax, try to get Carmelo Anthony, Paul George or some, or maybe both of them, who knows, um, mortgage it all, mortgage the farm. And then maybe if they could somehow win it, Reassemble, but I really think that a team built like that, you know, you don't really have a chance. And then if you're bringing Paul George over, who's made it known that he wants to go to LA. So I, I think that they got one more shot with LeBron, and then LeBron will be the old, the old head on a you know a young up and coming LA team where he's ceding the reins to Paul George and Lonzo Ball's running the point. So that's the way I see it right now. So that would open up the East as soon as 2018. One more year, you got to get through. With the Cavs probably still dominating. Yeah. Well, I don't, and then that I don't opens things up in 2018. I don't concede no? next year at all with this group uh, for the Celtics. Even before the with the guys they have now, or do you think they need one f- big free agent signing to get over the Cavs? Yeah, I think they're going to be active in free agency. So I think it's either going to be Gordon Hayward or Blake Griffin, or maybe we get the Paul George rental for a year um, because that – they're asking for less and less from that pick because they realize he's made it known that he will not resign. So there's very little leverage from the Pacers. At some point, should we stop wondering if this big move is going to come? I mean, if you look at the team since yeah. since he got Isaiah in the spring of 2015, yeah, after the there's free constantly been superior. this when is big, and they did get Al Horford, but they've constantly been the when are they going to make the big move? When are they going to make the big move? And they've gone through a couple of drafts now, and it seems like maybe I always wonder if Ainge is purposely trying to build a team differently. Then he built his last team. I think so. Whether it's a personal uh, challenge to himself of I can do it this way, or he looks at it and he went, oh, we only had a four-year window with that team. I want to build a team with a longer window. But it seems like maybe he's just trying to be more patient this time. Yeah, but, but, but last really year he through built it. through trades. This year, he like this year, I'll, I'm excited to have that conversation, but I want to wait until the free agency period happens because it seemed like last year 
the big jump was that we just became a destination for free agents. Al Horford decided to leave what he had in Atlanta Hawk with the Atlanta Hawks and some money on the table to come play here. All of a sudden, you know, we made a run to the Eastern Conference Finals without our best players. We clearly were outclassed, but we're becoming a place where you don't hear a lot of issues with the coach. You don't hear a lot of issues with teammates who seem like a well-run, locked in. We had our 13th and 14th guy on the bench making solid contribute uh, contributions in the playoffs. And so that says, hey, if I come here on, on low money, I'm still not going to be an afterthought. So I think the culture is so strong, but I don't want to say, oh, are they going to make a good big move or, or not when we only have a week to wait? To, you know, That's to what we're here for, out. right? Yeah. Speculate. That's, That's what a job. podcast is for. So. Yeah. But, but, I, but what makes you think that they're not? They have max room. Yeah. I like, think that because of how still they've sat for the last two f- plus years now. But they got Al Horford in really, free agency. So they, if, you yeah. just, if you just scale it back one year ago, during this period of time, they landed one of the biggest catches. So what makes you think this year they're just going to stand pat? Because if you remember also last year they went into it with the money to possibly get two max free agents and they came out of it with one. Now they have the money for one max free agent. If you sign one max free agent, you're kind of done in free agency. You can, you know, you have a mid, uh, what every other mid-level year, exception. mid-level exception. You have the uh, tr- the the smaller alternate year, mid-year exception. You know, there's a bunch of weird things. You can probably get a couple other role players, mm-hmm. but I almost wonder if Ainge ends up with like like I mentioned earlier, Danilo Gallinari, some guy on a seventeen million dollar contract, another guy on a ten million dollar contract, instead of one guy on a twenty-seven. And this I isn't how I was thinking as recently as a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But when you had the chance at a Markel Fultz yeah. and, a, and you I, end up trading down, you get a Jason. Mm-hmm. James, Probably going to be a very good player. It just seems like the we've been waiting two years to make that that transformative move, and Al Horford came close to it. But I mean, I think we saw in the end that like he he's still not the best player on the championship right. team. What about the argument though that the difference in the Eastern Conference Finals was so clear, and that gap was so large, and bought, I mean, we won one game in that series. The other four were no, no, no. We were competitive I mean, in. We were clear we were competitive though, that we were two, not two at that level, games. and yeah. and but we were without Isaiah Thomas. But continue. And uh, we were without Isaiah Thomas. That's inarguable. Even other so, than the two games he played, but <laughs> it was clear that there was a talent gap there. Could incremental changes with. Mid-level guys make up that gap, or was that a wake-up call for Ainge heading into free agency, where he's like, "All right, we need stars if we're gonna compete at that level." And then he went and didn't trade for Jimmy Butler, which might right point you towards where his thinking is. Yeah. But that might point you towards they're gonna make a splash in free agency and not have There's to give up else. anything. That, but or they could have made the trade for Jimmy Butler and added a guy in free agency. Yeah, and I, I don't think I am very skeptical that they would bring on t- like clear space to bring on two max guys or close to that. But Jimmy Butler's not a max guy right now. Jimmy yeah, he's Butler's a twenty million a, guy. He's a deal yeah. right now. He's what nineteen million a year, I think, right now. Seven, eighteen. He goes up a little bit between. Yeah. The, but he's basically uh, two years for less than forty million dollars, which is sure. a, in this day and age a bargain. I mean, mm-hmm. that's I think you were pointed out. That's uh, what Alan Crabby's making. As the backup shooting guard for that's what uh, Evan Turner got basically in yeah. free agency. No, I'm, 
it, it would have been a deal, but I don't think you can, the, the piece of logic that I'm don't understand that you just made is they didn't go after Jimmy Butler. Therefore they're going to stand pat in free agency. Like that does not equate to me. I think they're going to take a shot. And I think that they've got to realize what Mike was bringing up about the talent differential in the Eastern conference finals is they do have a lot of depth. They do have a lot of guys that can play a little bit, but what they need are guys that can really take over a game and are really tough and have been there before or have, you know, kind of become really comfortable being the guy. And they need at least one more of those in my mind. Um, so I would be pretty surprised if they stood pat. And I think the backlash is going to come if the, they don't feel like the Celtics are. The Celtics brand is really, you know, um, hot right now. And it's like, how do you show the fans that you're willing, you're, you're pushing for being an Eastern Conference champion, not just getting there and then, you know. Got to keep the momentum rolling. That's for, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to put it out there. I think that the Celtics should go out and sign a big free agent. It just seems like Ainge has almost been pumping the brakes a little bit recently instead of hitting the gas. And uh, that's surprising to me, I guess. Uh, I mean, obviously, Danny Ainge understands uh, the machinations of the NBA better than I do. So maybe I shouldn't be second-guessing yeah. him. But again, and what's the point of a podcast? That's true. That's true. Anybody. Our whole mission statement. <laughs> um, and I, I also think the landscape of the NBA um, is almost benefit, benefiting the Celtics, where the Celtics have shown some semblance of a team and some... Um, you know, style of play. There's a culture they've and built. there's a culture that they've built where it, when there are only like even at the beginning of the season, you realize there's only like six relevant teams, and two of those are kind of the we knew what the finals was going to look like pretty much from the get go. Uh, I think it makes guys that are on that second tier, you know, teams that are playoff teams, but four or five seeds or worse. It makes them want to join a team that could actually, you know, dethrone right. versus so that, saying yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, stay in my locale or get paid big money by a team that just has no chance. I think, you know, guys really are hungry for uh, winning. It is know? nice to be on to be beyond that question of will a free agent come to Boston? Right. Yeah. Because until Al Horford did, you didn't really have a whole lot of evidence that anyone ever, I mean, Dominique Wilkins back in the, I mean, but... Really, the list of big free agents to sign with the Celtics was quite minimal. Yeah. Um, and Al Horford was kind of undisputedly the biggest in franchise history. So uh, it certainly seemed to have gotten uh, to the point where they ha- are, like you said earlier, a destination. Uh, so then it comes down to what Ainge wants. Yeah, and I think, you know, that would be a tough pill to swallow if you found out that there was, like, um, some level of interest during this free agent period that he rebuffs or you know, doesn't go after because he wants, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to win five championships from, you know, 2023 to 2028. Like, you know, even as a really excited diehard Celtics fan, that would be pretty frustrating. It does seem like there's going to be a window open pretty soon because whether LeBron goes to the Western Conference or the Cavs end up having to blow things up because of cap reasons, as soon as Mm -hmm. 2018 comes, we could... Already be a wide open East, and uh, at that point, I think you might have the, uh, the Bucks would certainly be a team to worry about. Uh, if LeBron goes to the West, Giannis might be the best player in the East. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't argue that. And then the 76ers, uh, they look like they're finally kind of getting to they look good on paper, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's there's a reason they play the games, right? <laughs> but you just start to look at the type of talent and length and athleticism that they've put together, yeah, and that could be a team that's tough to defend 
Oh, yeah. And the question will probably be how well they defend in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can't can't argue that. And, you know, there's so much growth that needs to happen where it just feels like the Celtics, with less talent, though, have created this culture. And it just seems like a place where people, if your goal of being in the NBA, like Kevin Durant showed last year, was not to just score 35 points a game or whatever, but was to win championships, he was very attracted by a culture that showed that they were capable of doing that. And again, we don't have, we're not coming off of a championship but we've shown that we get better as the season progresses. We're incredibly competitive, and we've got some pieces to work around, and we've got a coach who knows what he's doing. So, uh, I mean, I think that there's going to be some – somebody's going to want to come and play here, in my mind. I don't doubt that at all. Let's hope Ainge wants him. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening in. We'll uh, probably be checking back if there's any major uh, free agent news. Yeah, and for during summer the league, season. we will be your summer league source. <laughs> your summer no, league nobody podcast. gets more excited about watching summer league than Sam Schilling over here. He's... Yeah, they're gonna have a tough ride. <laughs> they, these guys, they're gonna be good. I think that they, Wh- we, whoever Daddy we, H sends to summer league to watch all the games watches less summer league than Sam Schilling. Yeah, I would if that job was open. I would. That would. That would be awesome. Chevy trailer. Yeah, we're trying right. to well, patent that. Thanks for joining me, guys. Oh, Sam, I think you have one more thing to... Oh, no, just that I think uh, this could be a little early, but I'm predicting a Summer League championship for there you go. Boston in the Las Vegas Summer League. I'm that confident. You're here, here first. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out the rest of the league. Yeah. Celtic Summer League team coming at you. Huge. Thanks for joining me, guys, Sam and Mike, and thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, next time there's some Celtics news.